1: thought about why people act the way they do why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant let's find out together welcome to human behavior what a trip your host is dr jonathan brower our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments we'll have fun exploring human behavior now here's your host dr jonathan brower
2: Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my show, Human Behavior. What a trip. And we have a great show today, a great trip, literally and figuratively. My guest is Jim Doss. He has ridden across the United States several times on his bicycle all by himself. We're going to talk about that in great detail. He's an endurance athlete in general. And, uh, he's also a videographer, uh, from the Mike Sosha Amateur Baseball Development League, and he's also videographer for Limousine Connection. He's also a limousine driver. He's also been a surveyor for many years, so he's a multi-talented guy who also loves radio shows, especially the old shows. So, Jim Doss, welcome to the show. Thank hey you,
3: John. How are you?
2: Good. I'm glad you're here. So, um, let's start off with this most fantastic uh, trip of all and that is your riding across the United States on several occasions. Um, so I'd like you to, in detail, tell us about the first time you were going to do it, what, what prompted you to want to do it, how you decided how you were going to do it, and then finally we'll talk about what you did day-to-day to get through it. Sure.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, the first time I, uh, I did any attempt at the bicycle ride, any farther than than around the block, was uh, in 1980. and went to Denver, Colorado. And how old
2: and were you? Let me ask you, how old were you in 1980? 20. 20 years old. Okay, go on.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I, I had run a marathon about three weeks before that. It was my, first, um, my second marathon, I think it was, or my first huh. marathon, excuse me, in San Francisco. And running and bicycling, as you know, are the muscle groups are two completely different muscle groups. Yes, and I was I was prepared to ride, you know, not very far, but I could, you know, I rode and I really didn't do much training for it, so I figured, well, if I ran, there shouldn't be a problem with me bicycling. Well, there was, and you know, one of the biggest things is I mean, I was gone for basically three weeks, and I didn't prepare myself for the the consistent amount of time on the bike, the amount of time being away from home, and as a result. Each day was pretty sore. My body was sore, and yes. I was getting very discouraged. The further I east I went, I was getting discouraged. Yes, but somehow, some way, I made it to Denver, and the shock of my my uncle, who I stayed with when I was there, uh-huh. and it was um, it was the beginning of uh, of many more rides and so, many more eye opening uh, things to see across the country.
2: So you rode from. Uh... Southern California to Denver, your very first, yeah. that was your first long ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now on that ride, um, uh, you, you took all your equipment with you, right? You had the panniers and you had the tent and you had lots of water and food and exactly. things like that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had, yeah. my chap was on a bike. I had a bedroll. I had my sleeping bag and, uh, um, you know, the, you, you just, you don't prepare, I mean, I never prepared for the weight, so that was one of the biggest adjustments was adjusting to the weight of the bike with the yeah. gear on
2: so your very first ride, you started finding out what you were doing wrong and what you could do better the next ride is that the, Is that the case?
3: yeah, it was a shakedown ride almost in a sense because i learned I learned uh, um how to handle the bike with the weight and, yeah. and and then also how to handle the time away from home and time away the time of of that isolation. I mean, you're outside, it's not like you're in a swimming pool and you're just doing laps. That's, that's isolation. But this is almost like, you know, you're on the bike and you're riding and you have to adjust to, um, the the mental, the mental strain of being away from, uh, from home and the mental strain of having to sit there and say, well, this is how I'm going to get from A to B. And I'm not taking a car. I'm not taking, you know, a bus. Right. It's the way it is.
2: Yeah. So on your very first ride, long ride, which was from uh, Southern Cal to Denver, uh, how did you how did you decide how many extra tires you should take and all that stuff and? Did,
3: well, that was help? like look, that was kind of luck. My, my brother Richard, to get back to how I started and how I yeah. wanted to do it, my brother Richard, um, he rode from uh, Southern California to South Dakota, where my um, grandma lives, and. Yeah. Um, at the time, and my mom's from. And yeah. I thought that would be kind of cool. you know, I'm like, well, hey, that'd be kind of cool to do, and, and at least I can emulate what he did. Yes. And I listened to him. He told me a lot of different things about what I would need, and being 20 years old at the time, he was like 27, I'm thinking, well, some of the stuff, I don't need to do that. I didn't need to prepare in a certain way, and, mm. and um, so I paid the price in a lot of ways, but it wasn't that you know nothing, nothing too, dra- too rash. You know, it was, it was uh, uh-huh. just an adjustment.
2: <laughs> I see. Okay, so so then, um, how many years later did you start on your first um, full continental ride?
3: Uh, Nineteen eighty-one, the following year.
2: Okay, and so um, take us through that when you and you started from where? Where was the actual first place you? In Ecuador. Yeah, so Hills, a,
3: California, mm-hmm. right out, right out. A, Yeah,
2: so basically, when we went outside I your. Room. You went, you went outside your house. You got on your bike. Yes. and you started.
3: I started, and, and yeah. I went out through you know out through the Mojave Desert, and um, I was better prepared that year than I was the year before that I rode. Yeah, because I spent I had purchased a bike and I spent all summer, all fall and the previous fall and the previous spring training for it.
2: Yeah. And, so in, um, in in 1981, we didn't have the uh, the what do you call them the uh, GMSs or whatever they're called. GPS.
3: Yeah, no. GPS.
2: So no. so you had to be looking at um, at maps a lot, right?
3: Yeah, I, I did research over at uh, Cal State Northridge through the mapping yeah. department, the cartography yeah. department,
4: uh-huh.
3: and uh-huh. I got a hold of. I went to. I think I got a hold of AAA or somebody and got a bunch of maps of, you know, the United States. And yeah. I knew where, because basically the first quarter of the trip was a replication of the previous year. going So I knew immediately, okay, here's how I'm going to go. I'm going to go from, you know, from Agora to, to Victorville, California, to Needles, California, up into Kingman, Arizona, to Albuquerque, and then north to Santa Fe, and then into, um, Trinidad, Colorado. Yeah, and from that point on, it was like open territory. It was like you know I'd never been there before, and and nice. that was just like reading books. I read a book one time about a guy who rode across the United States, him and his wife, yeah, and their two kids. And they, yeah. they said, "Well, we take well, we took around fifty, yes." And I'm going, hey, that'd be kind of a cool route to do, So that's what I started
2: doing. So when you when you were on this ride, there were some long stretches where you didn't have extra water to get or or food to get. Isn't that correct? Well, there's the, yes,
3: there was. I mean, the the biggest thing, and this is what I prepared for was the longest stretch I had to go without having anything was yeah. about eighty, ninety miles. Believe uh-huh. it or not, I mean, in Canada, the United States is pretty well densely populated, but in the West, there's yeah. a lot of open area where it's like there's nothing. I mean, basically between Trinidad, Colorado, and a little town called La Junta, Colorado,
4: yeah,
3: it's about ninety miles, and there's nothing between those two towns. It's grassland. They call it the Comanche National Grassland. Yeah. And all, all there is is highway. Yes, and you know, and luckily, in eighty one, I had to win my back, so I, <laughs> I flew pretty quickly. Yeah, literally for that, yeah. that eighty and ninety miles, I was there in five hours. You know,
2: that's like oh. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, what what was the date of your of your beginning of your trip?
3: Uh, July twenty fifth.
2: July twenty fifth.
3: Somewhere around. Mm hmm.
2: Okay. So, there, mm-hmm. so so.
3: Actually, I'm sorry, July 7th, early July, right after, right after okay. um, uh, July 4th.
2: Okay, so what I'm getting at is you were riding uh, through the desert of California when it was super hot. Yep. Now, when it was super hot, uh, during those 80 to 90 miles that you were going through the stretch, at one point, were you worried you weren't going to have enough water?
3: No. Um, I prepared in a way that... Yeah, you know, I knew when I went, especially going east through the desert. That's the place you really got to worry about because in the Mojave yeah. Desert—it it can be like 115 degrees. You know, yeah, that's torture. Exactly. And so yeah. I had prepared. I knew that I was going to have two bar, two bottles on my bike immediately you know, on the down bars on the on the bike. Um, yeah. Bicycle itself, and I also had two more bottles in the rear on the rear panniers. I had one bottle to balance the weight. So I had a bottle on the left side. You know, extra bottles were probably like probably yeah. quart water bottles. You know okay. and I would All right. put two I put a bottle on one side a bottle on the other side, and I would fill them up with ice, pack them with ice, yeah, and throw so, water into it and and, yeah. and, and, and inflate them with my clothes,
2: yeah
4: to
3: keep them so, cold you know, cool.
2: yeah, so when you were riding through this heat, um was it really oppressive? Was it really uncomfortable?
3: yeah, uh I would ride early in the morning during the summertime and in you know I mean for so this, this basically the first seven days. Yeah. Uh I rode I would be on the bike at five o'clock and I would I would ride until eight or nine, take a break, get some breakfast, and then to motivate me, food would always motivate me.
4: Yeah. And
3: then I went, you know, I'd start riding. I would be done with my morning ride around ten o'clock, eleven, and then I'd sit out the middle part of the day. I'd sit out from basically, you know, ten, eleven, eleven o'clock until like four. And I'd ride again in the evening.
2: So while you were sitting between ten and four, what did you do for Shane?
3: I try to find a park. I try to find a swimming pool sometimes. You know, um, out there, there's not much shade. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I tried to, I mean, you know, a, a restaurant in a little town called Ludlow, California. Uh-huh. They it, There was a movie called uh, Baghdad Cafe many, many years ago. I guess there's a, two of them. One was a remake. And there's a place called Roy's Cafe, which is off Old 66. And I remember going in there probably ten, eleven o'clock in the morning, and it already had been, Easily 105, yeah. 160 degrees outside.
2: Now, did and you know I was, about I, these restaurants ahead of time? Well, I knew it
3: was there. And, oh, I, did, you yeah. know, some of the places just happens to ask you to ride, you know, oh, I'll go here, you know. Yeah. But out there, it's so desolate. I mean, it's not like I can ride and go into a college town and hit a library and just, you know, kill yeah. time, writing and reading in the library. Yeah, There wasn't much to do. So I'd sit there and, like this place, I went in and had breakfast or lunch. And I would yeah. sit there and just, weigh it out in the cool in the cool the air conditioning you
2: know yes yeah that's all it can do okay so uh, we're going to take a short break for some announcements and then we'll come back okay very good okay hang on
1: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Defeatanxietynow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111.
5: SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805 535 5111.
5: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free, 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior What a Trip. hi everybody
2: i'm jonathan brower human behavior what a trip i'm with my guest jim Doss, and we're talking about his exploits on the bicycle jim so um you got through uh the, the heat of, of california oh one other thing i want to ask you this is a, this is a general question For the whole trip um did you have any close calls with cars i mean what, at times were the roads kind of uh, narrow and these cars were whipping by at fifty or sixty or seventy miles an hour.
3: I had close calls with with uh, with beer bottles. <laughs> the people who would
2: throw beer bottles at you?
3: Yeah, I had that once in uh, Española, New Mexico. Oh my God! Um, in my ride in '81, I think it was. I, I get the 80, and the '81 ride I'm confused. I think it was '81.
4: Yeah. And I was just
3: bicycling, you know, into Española, which is just north of Santa Fe. Beautiful part of the world. And these people were driving by in the car, and they just decided to throw water, um, water balls to throw beer balls at me.
2: Were they running for your body?
3: Yeah, they would throw them like, and they'd break them in front of my bike, you know, on the ground. They'd they'd dash them. I think one maybe, you know, raised off my arm or something like that. And
4: And I just remember getting
3: so mad. It's terrible. No, I never got a flat. Not luckily. Luckily, not that. But I just couldn't figure that out. You know, I was like, why? Yeah. And and then um. To get on later, in that one in the eighty-one trip, um, I had I was jockeying with coal trucks pulling through West Virginia, and yeah. when you go through that per, that area of West Virginia, which is Route fifty, and a lot of other parts of West Virginia and Virginia, uh-huh. um, it's coal territory. And then the, the trucks would come one way; they'd be empty, and one way they'd be full. And from what I understood, the drivers were being paid by the amount of deliveries they made per day. So you know, every time they filled up and dropped it, they got X amount of dollars, and then come back and do it again. So yeah. um, the, the area I was riding through, I remember climbing up this one grade through the Appalachians, and I'd get to the top and start going down, and, and I remember there one driver. He kind of like shoved was trying to get me off the road because I was in his way. There's no shoulder. I had no place to go.
4: Yeah. And,
3: I, I can, and I can remember vividly these people who just were... Riding behind me, and they stopped, and we went to like some place to I think it was a gas station or something, and they were mentioning that guy tried to run you off the road. I like, you, you, you saw that, right? Freaking servant of you.
2: So you could I, have been killed easily.
3: Easily. Oh yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, it, going across the interstate, you know, forty or I twenty five. There's enough shoulder there. So, and when you're riding on something like that, you learn to adjust to the wake of the semi trucks. Uh-huh. Because as they go by you, I mean, they're putting up a good, a good wake as they go by, yeah. depending on how much they're carrying and how many trailers they're carrying, you know. And um, so I had to adjust to that. But after a while, you, you kind of forget about it.
2: Yeah, and now similar ride. similar to that. <clears throat> at times when you were riding, you had these crosswinds and you had all these packs on your bike. Yeah. So did did you ever get blown over?
3: No, you know, when I went through Kansas, when I traveled into Kansas. um that was the same day that I had gone through Colorado. And I, you know, southeastern Colorado, and I had a tailwind behind me, and I figured, hey, no problem. Our, and Kansas is, is 300-some-odd miles wide, but it's also, you know, 200-some-odd miles north-south. Yeah. And what I learned very quickly was that is that the wind blows at its own pace. It does what it wants it to. Yeah. And when you're traveling across the Midwest in a lot of places, the roads are, they're not diagonal. They're not, you know, um, curved in a lot of cases, they're north, south, east, west. Yeah. Because it's taking into account the ranch lands and the farmlands. Yes. And so when I was going east, I'm traveling due east. And then the wind, it seemed like the day, the wind would be in my back and I'd go north and it seemed like the wind would be in my face. Yeah. And every time I turned, I remember this very goodly Every time I turned, it seemed like the wind was just following me uh-huh. and just yelling at me, you know, laughing at me, oh, you're going to slow you down even more, you know, yes. but that's, you deal with you know that's that's a part of bicycling you have to understand that it's the way it is
2: and that did that tire you out when you were going against the wind
3: oh yeah oh yeah because yeah. you know you're you're number one you're carrying the load number two you know it's a long way and it especially through that part of the world it's like it's like you know driving into a 30 mile ga- a gust you know 30 mile per hour gust yeah you know, at times and they wouldn't be consistent it wouldn't be like Steady, it'd be up, down, up, you know, it'd be a little slower, a little harder, a little softer, but, you know, you you get used to it.
2: Yeah. So, um, um, when you were on this trip, how often did you stay in a motel? How often did you just, uh, sleep under a tent?
3: Well, the first seven days of 81 and 84, um, because of the desert, I decided to stay in a hotel pretty much every night. Uh-huh. Um, for the first seven days, you know, yeah. in the eighty-one ride I didn't do that. The eighty-one ride I remember I stayed in camp, in campgrounds and I paid the price because it's so hot out in the desert during the summertime at night. Even at night, it might cool down ten degrees, but you know you're not getting an ocean breeze. You're getting a breeze from the Colorado River or something like that, and it's not a cool breeze. And so, which, I, which meant that you were That meant
2: that you were tired for the next day. Oh yeah, even, even before you got on the bike. Oh yeah, because you know I mean you're not physically tired.
3: It's just you know you're just you're sitting there. You're like. You couldn't get a good night's sleep because, number one, it's yeah. hot. It's oppressively hot. Yeah. And number two, it's like you're trying to recover from that previous day's ride, hundreds of miles or whatever it is, and preparing for the next day's ride. Yeah. So it takes it out of you. It does. So I learned other than just going to a hotel, um, save as much money as I could, go to a hotel, and that way I could have the uh, – the comforts and luxuries of, uh, you know, or amenities of maybe a TV and a shower and, uh, (laughs) rest in a nice bed, you know, even though it might've been like, you know, some, some cheap hotel or something like that. But, uh, it helps. It always helps.
2: Yeah. So when you were on this long ride, at times you, uh, needed to go into a market to get some food Mm -hmm. and, uh, did you just trust that your bike wouldn't be stolen if you left it outside the market? Uh,
3: I had a lock with it, and so I would lock it, or I'd go into the store, and I'd tell somebody, look, can you watch my bike? And yeah. most part, they would. Sometimes I got, after a while, I figured, screw it. I'm going to take the bike into the, into the store. Yeah,
4: that's, that's a, yeah. Uh, the thing keep I would have done.
3: Yeah. And the store owners were okay with that? It? I'd walk up and down the aisle looking at them. i like, go, is it still there? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the only way of getting around. I'm like, you know. I don't have a car in the background, and but uh, no, and you you, you you know you learned it. And I would take the lock and I'd lock the bike up at night too. You know, with a, with a, at like a, a campground or something. I would take the bike yeah. and uh, take my cable and lock it up that way. You know, in case someone decided, you know, somebody was drunk or something, locked it down. Yeah.
2: You know, but I would Im- imagine it. you were sleeping when you were camping at. You, you were sleeping very close to your bike, it's right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, so you <laughs> would have heard right right someone right if they right were. Oh yeah, try to take it away. And so um uh, on these trips, you, you, you generally had enough food, you generally had enough water. Was there ever any time you were short of food and you were re- really hungry and really tired?
3: You know, I, I was tired in the, the first week or two, I was physically tired, because you're just into the, in the 81, ride. you adjust to it. Uh-huh. Um 84, I was really prepared for 84. I did double cross in 84 from Agora to Massachusetts and okay. back to okay. Agora.
2: So the, one, the 1980 trip, you just mm-hmm. went from uh, West Coast to East Coast and then you took an airplane back home, I guess, right?
3: Yeah, the, the, 80, the 80 ride was from LA to Denver and the 81 mm-hmm. ride was from LA to New York City. Yeah. And then I had the 82 ride, which is from LA. I flew up to Seattle and rode from Seattle to Vancouver and back down to LA.
2: And why did you choose to start the ride from Vancouver? Or Seattle.
3: Well, the the idea was I was going to ride across Canada. I um, see. That was my first my first thought, and I had planned to ride across Canada on the Transcon, you know, um, bikeway or whatever it was, or roadway. So that,
2: so that would have been a four thousand mile bike. drive, right? Was that? That would have been a four thousand mile, yeah. drive if you were doing the. I
3: had I had yeah. the thoughts in my head that I wanted to kind of like maybe complete circumnavigate the United States. Yeah, I mean so. somewhere along the line of my brain. I'm going. i would be kind of fun. Yeah. I'd, been, you know, I'd been to Canada one time before that, and I figured I'd be kind of fun to ride across Canada and go check it out. And, but
2: at some point, you'd uh, change your plans, or what?
3: Well, I had gotten up to Canada. I got gotten up to Seattle, um, flew up, assembled my bike, and I was having problems with my rear wheel, the, with the cogs in the rear wheel. Yeah. And I was going through, you know, I was trying to save money, and I was going through problems with the bike. and. And I got discouraged. I mean, it was like one of the first times where it's like, you know, I mean, things weren't just going right. I mean, 80 was more. The 1980 ride was like, what was going wrong was physical. It wasn't a bike. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was, you know, and, and but after time, you kind of figure you can adjust to that. You train for that. Um, the 81 ride, everything went pretty smoothly. There weren't any problems, I don't think. There were a few yeah. things that had happened, but, you know, you learn. But the 82 was kind of like, Okay you know, here we have, you know, now you got to make a decision, you know. And I could have gone across across Canada, and I should have gone across Canada, but I had some things going on, and, you know, I had work and stuff, and I had given my my job. I told myself I'd be gone for, like, two weeks, three weeks, three weeks, I think it was, or something like that. And it was going to stretch it a little longer. And so I figured I'd come down to the West Coast. And it turned out to be a great decision because, you know, Seattle and Washington, Oregon, such In Northern California, in the Southern California. It was a beautiful ride. Gorgeous place. Yeah.
2: So, you know, so when you're I 81 learned, learned ride, ride. Mm-hmm. how many, how many uh, hours, how many days did it take you? Or, or you weeks?
3: From the West Coast, from, from Seattle, back down here.
2: Well, the, 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 let's start with the 81 one.
3: Well, the 81, that was 35 days across the United States.
2: 35 days. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. average how many miles per day?
3: About 100 a day. And, yeah. um you know, uh, I took I took a couple of days off here and there. I took took a day off in, in a little town called Raytown, Missouri, outside of Kansas City. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I would ride, and I I had knew I knew that I was going to ride like a half day yeah. because there wasn't anything in between. I knew that if I tried to do an extra forty miles, well, there's nothing there yeah. between there and there. I guess so, so. I figured don't double up, you know. You would do what you, you, know, do, if you have to do 60 today, you do 60 today. So it averaged out to about
2: 100 days. Okay. The most the, part, I was doing in 82, in the 82 year, how many days were you riding? About two and a half, about two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks, about 17
3: days, 18 days. I
2: so, so you basically went from, um, uh, Seattle up to Vancouver. You did right. part of Canada. Then you did, then you did a U-turn and come, and you came back.
3: I flip I went from Seattle up to a little town called um Brant or no Brantford, Ontario. I went up to um Abbotsford, British Columbia. Which yeah. is on the it's in the Fraser River Valley, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. And um, west of west of Vancouver and then yeah. dropped down south, basically parallel by I five. I see. All the way
2: down. Mm-hmm. I see. And of these rides, which one did you like the best?
3: Well, the best was Ride, my double cross
2: ride. The 84, um, the double. Okay, we, we haven't heard about that one yet. Yeah, you, you, you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to have a up pretty soon. So um, basically, you enjoyed this and you had a lot of time on your hands. I mean, you weren't busy with a radio in your ear, were you? You were just. Uh,
3: well, I actually had a transistor radio.
2: I see. So you could hear some of the time you could hear. But,
3: when I went across the Midwest in 81, I'm a baseball fan, as you know, and, yeah. and, yes. and a radio fan. You know, in those days, there was no Rush Limbaugh or whatever. Not to say I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, but talk yeah. radio, there was only music and, and, and ball ball games. And yeah. in the summertime, you know, you're that's what you're... I listened to I listened to the Chicago Cubs in the Midwest and the St. Louis Cardinals in the Midwest. It
2: yes. was great. great. By the way, I I imagine uh, in 81 and 82, you weren't wearing a helmet, were you? Yeah. Well, so yeah. you like that you didn't get
3: killed? Yeah, yeah I like that very much, so yes.
2: Yeah. And I'm then in the in the eighty four ride mm-hmm. you probably didn't wear a helmet either.
3: No, I didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't. I thought I was extremely lucky. And um and I don't I've had some accidents since that time and I recommend to anyone who even jumps on a bicycle, whether it's to ride a mile or a thousand miles, get a helmet. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Now,
2: Absolutely. do you wear? I forget. Do you wear glasses or not?
3: No, I wear contacts.
2: I see. So you had a lot of contacts you with you. You, know, you had to change well, your contacts. Well, I, on did, I
3: didn't, didn't wear contacts in those days. I've only worn contacts like the last fifteen years. So I was my my eyesight was much better before I got in front of a computer. And okay. I was did need contacts or glasses? I, I I don't even. I probably had sunglasses. I don't really yeah. remember. But um, yeah. Uh it, no, I didn't I didn't need glasses in no those days, so
4: Yeah.
3: never need. So, I was riding with a baseball cap and, and you know, I had a newspaper in the back of my bike and my sleeping bag and it's like well, So did. when
2: you so when you were riding you didn't ever use sunglasses? To...
3: No, I don't think I did. And um. and there's some photographs of me maybe with them, but for the most part I never did. I I don't know why, I just didn't. Yeah. And I think because I, I adjust to the light fairly well, on how that works, but it was yeah. just strange I didn't. And looking back now, it, it'd be like nowadays, it'd be like riding without a cell phone or something. It was even more, you know, there yes. were no cell phones in those days. So.
2: Yeah. So I think we're Church. coming up for a break. I don't want to ask another okay. question yet. No North, North. Let's do it. Okay. Let's see what's going to happen here. Uh, well, I'll ask you a question if we have to look, take it over. Yeah. So you had... Uh, a limited amount of clothes, a limited amount of uh, bike shirts, bike shorts. So sure. how often were you able to wash these things, and how do they dry while you're busy riding? Um,
3: I, I go to like a laundromat, and it would be like every three days, sometimes two or three days. I see. And, you know, I'd go hit a laundromat and clean everything up, and and actually, you know, and, and we'll get to the 84 ride, but um, I learned after a time that I could send stuff, and people would you know, be there, when. I, and the 84 ride was needed. Hmm. I needed to send stuff ahead of time. I see. You're going to go from warm clothes to cold clothes.
2: Yeah. not cold to clothes. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go. On iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Defeatanxietynow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111.
5: SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805 535 5111.
5: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to PhD at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. So I'm
2: back with my guest, Jim Doss. I'm Jonathan Brower. The name of the show is Human Behavior, What a Trip. We're listening to a very good story about a great trip, well, several trips, with Jim Doss riding on his bike. So, Jim, uh, what prompted you in 84 to decide to go all the way across the continental United States and then come all the way back?
3: Well, 81 was, it, at that, up to that point, 81 was my my, you know, the culmination of my bicycle career. I mean, it was like, this is great. Yeah. And I had read about a guy named Lon Haldeman, who was an endurance cyclist. Uh uh-huh. He used to ride in a thing called the Race Across America, and he set the record for single cross and double cross. And yeah. the word double cross, never it was never in my vocabulary. I didn't know what it meant, Yeah. Or what it means, you know. And Lon Haldeman set the record to go from Basically, California to Georgia or I mean, New York, maybe those days, and yeah. back to California. He, he did it in about 21 days. And 21, the,
2: the round trip was 21 days. 21 days, yeah. And then... Uh, and then cause he wait, said, wait, what? Wait, one second. So when he did it the one way, how many days did it take him to do the one way?
3: About seven days.
2: Yeah, he that's did, incredible. It
3: like was 10 days. I think it was 10 days. Maybe it was 10 days. Is that right? Yeah.
2: So when he was riding those 10 days, he was sleep-deprived, I imagine.
3: He never slept very much. He slept like two hours a day.
2: Yeah. Was, I don't know how he can, was completely uh,
3: I'm
2: not surprised oh, yeah. uh, he didn't fall off his bike.
3: To, you know, that was, I think that's the thing they, they had, a, he had a support crew with him and they were really monitoring him. You know, it was always like the tour de France, but on a isolated yeah. role because they had to monitor everything that he was doing, his food intake, mm-hmm. his, his, uh, his rest, the intervals of rest, um, the time he could drink fluids, time he, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anytime you put food in his oh, yeah. mouth, I'm sure the sure was measured.
2: Plus, when those guys are riding so fast, seven days across the United States, their wrists start hurting too a lot, don't they?
3: Their what, their wrists, you say?
2: Yeah, their wrists. Oh
3: yeah. Well, I, he went through. He had, like, I read, read something about him. He had carpal tunnel syndrome in his, in his wrist. Yeah. his something, something like that. Because what happens, and I learned this too. You, after a while, you know, depending on how you put your hands on the on the handlebars. They can get numb after a time even with gloves I mean yes. my thumbs were perpetually after that ride in 84 and the 81 they would be numb yeah because you know you're you're taking the, you're pressuring pressing down even though you may not be you know you may not consciously be thinking that yeah. you know you're doing this you know it, it's like someone hitting you on the shoulder repeatedly repeatedly you know a small little thing it, it, it hurts after a time yeah and he had that he had that problem you know yes. arthritis and tendonitis, I'm sure.
2: All right, so when you in eighty four sent out for your uh, what do you call out and back what's that? double cross double, double cross, cross yeah mm-hmm. um you, obviously you weren't you weren't riding super fast most of the day again, you stopped a certain you, you were you just going about a hundred miles a day
3: right, sometimes one hundred and twenty the most I ever did in one day was one eighty, and that was uh-huh. in Michigan, and that was because of my mapping error so. Yeah.
2: So um, when you did the double and you got to the East Coast, did you take a day or two off or did you just right away turn around the next day and come back?
3: No, I took about four days off. And Uh I I was in Massachusetts in a little town called South Deerfield, Massachusetts, um, which is just west of Boston, north of uh, of New York, pretty far north of New York. And my cousin at that time was doing research. He was a professor of chemistry at Cal State Fullerton and he was doing um, research at, in, at UMass. And uh-huh. so he was staying there for four days. He said, hey, why don't you call So I hung out with him for four days. him and his wife and my, my cousin and, and um, their kids. And uh-huh. it was great, you know, just hanging and relaxing mm-hmm. and not thinking of anything in the bike. And then when I, I, I started back up again, it was, you know, that was almost like starting from scratch again because your body, is, you've given it four days off, which is a great thing because you need those four days. Yeah, but it's also like trying to restart your car, and you know, in cold weather, it's yeah. sometimes it takes a little
2: time. So, uh, when you were ready to turn back from and come back uh, from the east coast to the west coast on this double, uh, when you knew you had all this long ride ahead of time—I mean, ahead of you—was there a part of you that was um, wishing you didn't have to do it, or were you gung ho? Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, you know, you know what happens is, is, and I noticed this, especially when I when the East Coast ride, going East, before I got, you know, my, on my, my double cross, when I got to Kansas, I remember thinking I was riding through Kansas, some part of Kansas, you know, Topeka or someplace like that. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I'm halfway to halfway. Yeah. You know, and after a time, that can, you know, if you, if you look at the whole thing in the context, kind of like eating a meal, you know, if you look at the whole plate and say, oh, that's a lot of food. Yes. But. If you break things up, it's easy. It's no problem. And that's how I mentally figured it out. I was like, look, okay, it's a big, it's a big country, but yes. you're not going to eat the whole thing in one time. You're not going to ride the whole thing in one day. Yeah. Slow down. Break it up. Yes. And that made it a lot easier. It made it more palatable.
2: Yeah. Were there times when, uh, just by chance, you hooked up with another rider and, you, and the two of you rode together for a bunch of miles? Yeah,
3: yeah absolutely. Um, when I was going through West Virginia... Uh, I met up with these four people. They were riding in from They're going to a little town called Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And I went to this campground called the Tigard Campground in West Virginia, outside of Grafton, West Virginia. And I stayed there. And the next morning I got up, these people had ridden in. They saw my bike, and they're going, hey, let's – can we ride together? And And I rode with them for a little bit. Rode with them to, like, the next town. I I think, for like a half a day. Uh-huh. And we had a great, you know, it was great. But the problem was is that they were going at a slower pace than I was going. And so it was like I couldn't i couldn't ride that slow. You know, they were so probably doing yeah. about a half of what I was doing.
2: You know, so at but, some point you just decided goodbye that this is too slow?
3: Well, they knew that. I mean, I was riding with them. I said, look, I'm going to be going here. And they're going, well, where are you go tomorrow? I'm going to be, you know, X town or whatever it was. And, well, that's pretty far. It's like a hundred miles. I go, well, I have a timetable. I have to get to that point. So, you know, I was with them for half a day, and it was fine because they're hanging with people and stuff, and they understood But it's just that, you know, it'd be more of a – it's a hindrance to them because they can't keep up with me. And it would be a detriment to me because it's slowing me down, and it's it's not efficient for me.
2: Yeah. Were there other days that you, uh, for a few miles or more, rode with, with someone else?
3: Yeah, I, I, I run into people from time to time. Whether you know, every once in a while you see a straight rider riding across Kansas. I remember seeing uh-huh. him doing that one time, riding across Kansas, and I'd meet up with the guy and he'd be in a town and I'd see another bike, and the guy's got all his gear. I'm going, "This guy's doing what I'm doing," and we'd meet and talk for a little bit and ride for a little bit, and but then you know, again, you, immediately you know because of cadence and stuff like that, you can tell the guys who are hardcore and the guys who are, and I wasn't necessarily hardcore. It was just that. I had a better pace, you know, and I trained for it. And it wasn't just like, I'm just going to ride and, you know, take my time. I wanted to see stuff, but I also had an efficiency about it. So, you know, worked out well. Yes. So, yeah, it, it happened
2: once more. So when you were riding um, along these highways and byways uh, and people would ride by you and they would obviously know that you're on a big trek because you had all this equipment on your bike, were they friendly and waving hello and stuff like that or were they ignored? Oh, yeah, ignored?
3: yeah. For the most part, yeah, absolutely. I I, was, yeah. I think the thing, the memory that sticks in my brain more than any other memory yeah. on this whole, on any of these trips, I was riding through a little town called Sonia, Ontario, Canada, uh-huh. and it's just west of, of Brantford, Ontario, which is where Wayne Gretzky was born, in Brantford, Ontario, uh-huh. and Sonia is that's where they make Kellogg's. That's the Kellogg's corn flakes are made for the, <laughs> the Canadian people up there. Yeah, you know, North Battle Creek, I guess it is, and. Yeah. I went into this little town and went this, sorry, I went into this Sarnia, went into a McDonald's or something to get breakfast and get some food or lunch or something. And these people came out and I was talking to them and they saw my bike and we're talking at the restaurant and, you know, young kids and, and you know, a couple of kids and mom and dad or dad and kids. And I just got back, at, you know, bit our know, dues and jumped back on the bike and started riding. And the same people came up and the kid rolled the window down, one of the kids rolled the window down and they gave me a cap. Oh, this is nice. Kellogg's. This Kellogg's, Sarnia, Ontario. You know, oh, wow. Uh huh. And it was just you know nice of them to give me a baseball cap. So yeah, I, I went into towns in Michigan and they 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 a little town called Lakeview, Michigan. And these people saw my bike and they took me in and fed me breakfast. They fed me, they fed me dinner, breakfast, and they even tried to get a news interview from me in the local paper, which never happened. Wow. But it how, was
2: great. How, how often did uh, you have these people who would let you in their homes and give you food and shelter?
3: like five times, four times. Um, uh, not very much, but four or five times. And I remember it's was a little town called Rickardsville, Rickersville, Iowa, which is uh, yeah. west of Dubuque, Iowa, if you look on the map. And about 50, I think it is. Yeah. And I went in there, and one day I went to get lunch. I was in, got my lunch at a buffet or something, a little small cafe. Got my buffet and sat down, ate, and these people walked in. They saw my bike, and they, they knew I was going someplace. And they asked me where. <laughs> And then, yeah. well, we can buy you lunch. Or, no, I just ate lunch. Well, you can eat again. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You, you know, ate a lot
2: of food on this trip.
3: Oh, I did. I gained weight. <laughs> you, you, you I gained weight. What was that?
2: You needed a lot of fuel.
3: Well, yeah, you're Uh-oh. burning eight thousand calories a day minimum. I mean,
2: you're, you're eat, eating eight thousand calories a day. Uh, pr- approximately.
3: I mean, that's why I, I had to. I had to. I had to eat about 7, eight thousand calories a day from when I calculated this.
2: So on um, this on this. Uh, Double cross trip. Did you lose weight at the end of the trip, or did you gain weight? I gained weight. Oh, that's good. How much did you gain,
3: roughly? Actually, you know, I I take that back. I probably lost a little bit because I had gotten sick the last seven days out. I'd gotten um, a case of the flu or food poisoning to the state. I didn't know which one it was.
2: Oh man! But so riding with uh, food poisoning or or, the, or a flu is really tough.
3: It was terrible. I, I was in. Uh, um, that sounds, that sounds outside, like torture. Outside, outside, well, I was outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, on the way home. Seven days left, and I'd started getting I started throwing up on the side of the road I'd eaten at a I'd eaten in a town called Holbrook, Arizona, the day before, and I remember vividly going in and getting a pepper Farms dessert or something, which I was had a, had a sweet tooth and i sat there and ate probably a quarter of it, and I was like stuffed and um I wasn't feeling that good, and so the night next day things were starting coming up and and I, I was running a fever. And I went into Flagstaff i had actually um, I somehow got into Flagstaff hit a okay. hotel, and I turned the heat on the hotel as high as I could take it to break the fever and it did it happen
2: okay, so exhausted. when you so when you were when you were riding and Flagstaff was probably hot right
3: well, Flagstaff at that time of the year was in September it was getting cooler, oh, so the mornings that 's why i had I had extra gear sent to me mm-hmm. sent to different places like my mom 's house in the Midwest because when I was going I east, I didn't need a jacket. I had a windbreaker, maybe, yeah. or a long sleeve. I had a long sleeve and a windbreaker. That's all I had. I had shorts and a pair of jeans. But okay. when I was coming home, I had to have a little bit heavier equipment because it was going to get cold. You know, and I'm, I'm in, you know,
2: yeah. 9, but, I, but Nevertheless, when you were riding with this flu or, or food poisoning, whatever it was, that had to be torturous for you.
3: It was terrible. It was terrible. I, the last seven days... It was the longest seven days of my life, I thought, because I had, yeah. you know, every time you're riding, you know, you're using energy. And the thing when you're sick is you're trying to store energy. And I just, I just had a stomach flu last week. Yeah. You know, for a couple of days. And it, it's terrible. And the, the double that, the fact that this is your way of going places, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was just the worst experience in my life. I felt yeah, terrible. Yeah. That
2: time. So that you had the toughness to somehow do it. Now, I'm curious about one thing. You mentioned you mm-hmm. rode your bike up to Ontario, Canada. How come on the way up there, you didn't stop in Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame Baseball?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know uh, you're a baseball to this fan. Day, to this day, that's a mistake of mine. And, and I wish I, I was so close to it. I was, I was in was little town of in New York. Yeah. And I was like not more than 40 miles away. But for some reason in my brain, I'm thinking, you have no time to stop. You have to keep going. <laughs> yes.
2: And by the way, I'm... Uh, I'm to, I'm trying to uh, get a group of guys. It could be women too, who might sure. want to go to Cooperstown one year in the early spring. We'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about that more later on. Yep, okay. So um, you were you passed by Cooperstown, and actually it might have been impractical because uh, you really need a you need three or four days to take yeah. in the whole thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But you know I hit I hit ballparks all across the country. I looked to the Riverfront Stadium and and um. Anytime I was in a city that had a, you know, anywhere there was near a baseball stadium, I went to it. I checked it out. I didn't go to a game necessarily, although. Yeah. I almost went to a Chicago Cup game in the eighty four when I got to Chicago, and yeah. I was going to go to a day game and you know Rick Sutcliffe was pitching or something, and that's when they were really doing really really quite well as opposed to today. And yeah. um, uh, my uncle at that time he's probably like seventy five, eighty years old, and he's like, well, if you want to go, you can just take the train and. You know. I mean, I'm thinking, mm, I don't want to take a train in town. <laughs>
2: Although, if up. if you had gone to one of those games, you would have had to take your bike with you.
3: Uh, yeah, probably. Well, i was at my cousin, uncle's house, and I figured I'd just keep it there. And he told me where I could take a train to go into town, but, oh, uh, you, you know, I should have done it. But, you know, that's life. So,
2: yeah, yeah, okay. You know, that's the plan. Yes. So when you when you got home from this uh, double cross, how many days did it take you before you got back on your bike? <laughs>
3: months i didn't want to see the bike again for a long time
4: yeah i can imagine that
3: yeah. i i put it in a garage and closed the door and i didn't want to see it i was so tired of it um yeah. it, it, it was my best friend but it was also my best
2: enemy so. Yeah. <laughs> so um i know that you you like to uh be very active so after you come, came back from double cross you still went on walks every day i assume
3: i would run i was running actually in those days i ran marathons and um you're running so run I, I've run marathons, yeah. I ran, like, uh, from that time, I think I ran... From the first one, I've run 10 since 80. I've run one in 15, 16 years. Yeah. But I went through a good stage where I was doing two a year, you know, and, and um I enjoyed it, actually. It was a completely different type of thing. But mm-hmm. running and bicycling, obviously, completely different sports, but there's also in bicycling that, that sense of freedom. And I'm sure... And riding has it, too, but not like in bicycling. I mean, in bicycling, you know... You can kind of look at a map and say, I can go from here to here. Yeah, I can. I can do that. Yeah. No, you know, well is running more confined, I guess, in a sense.
2: Yes. And also, uh, running, if you're running fast enough, uh, it's hard to just think of all kinds of things. But if you're yeah. on a long bike ride, you have plenty of time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yes. So, uh, on these rides you had, how often did you have to change tires or get your spokes fixed up
3: or? Well, the tires, it? the tires were changed. Um, my, to give you an example, my 84 ride, I changed my first tire in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, what I did was I, I took the front tire off and put it in the rear and I actually took the, yeah, the front tire off, put it in the rear, put in bought a new tire, I had a, a tire in the rear and I changed it and put that in the front uh-huh. and I, I rotate them and then, in the 84 ride, and I don't know if this is a record, but it should be pretty close to a record, I had one, one flat in 7,000-plus miles. Wow. That's
4: amazing.
3: I, 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 I guarantee you that people driving across the United States in a car with, you know, steel-belted radials or whatever, they're oh. lucky if they get one flat in 7,000 miles.
2: So how and many, yeah, yeah. So how many um, inner tubes did you have for your tires?
3: I had two on the bike, and I would... Um, Two extra ones on the bike in case I need them. And I never had to break into them. Um, oh, wow. I just had patch kit. I had patch kit, so I replaced. the only time I ever had a flat was in Grafton, West Virginia. And uh-huh. I repaired the flat that same day as a little dog started, you know, bugging me. And uh-huh. um, it was fun. And, but, well, well, that's uh, another
2: question. When On your ride, how often did you have these uh, dogs that were chasing you and wanting to bite you?
3: Almost every day. Oh, my God. Every, every day.
2: It was- so what did, what did you do to get rid of them?
3: I have a, you know, my, the pump, I take, I, I figured this out after a while. I didn't know what to do. I was improvising and mm-hmm. I took my pump off my bike and I was like, you know, instead of trying to hit the dog with it, cause I'm not going to do that. I would yeah. take the pump and I'd flip it over on, you know, the pump side. I would have it out toward the dog Yeah. and I would take it and I'd like, you know, sling it like you're slinging, you know, a, a, a fly rod. Uh-huh. And the extension of that, of the, of the pump would come out toward the dog. Yeah, And 99 out of 100 occasions, the dog would shut down, and that'd be it. You didn't know what to do. And what there was about only the one, one occasion out of the when, it never ha- when it didn't happen. And that was in New York, and the dog was relentless. And finally, these kids you got the dog away from me. But uh, for the most part, that's what happened. But it was almost every day. You know? Wow. There was a stray that's... dog in the middle of rural America running at you, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah. You
2: know, so did, was that scary for you?
3: Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on the size of the dog. Um, if they were like Durbin Pinters or, you know, um, not the stereotype dogs, but there were certain yeah. fair dogs and dogs that had that, that fearful look in their face. And yeah. that fearful look in their face became a fearful look in my face. So I'm like, i got to find something to do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's me or me or the dog, me or the highway. <laughs> the dog's not going to be, the, the dog's going to lose, I'm not going to lose. <laughs> yes. all, any man, all men for themselves, is this
2: Yes. So um, we have two minutes or so left, sure. and um, tell me some of the uh, people you met. I imagine uh, in your travels, you had some people who were very nice with you, and did you did you did you stay in touch with any of them? Do you still keep track of them or not?
3: Well, no, you know, it's the one that, you know, for the most part, the people I met were very nice. I mean, <clears throat> some of the cyclists. You know, they're really cool people, but, you know, they're doing their thing. The guy, the, the the one thing that really sticks in my mind was when I got sick in 84, coming home. Yeah. And that was one of the cases where I met a person. A guy named Lionel During, and to this day, I remember his name. Yeah. I remember exactly what he looked like. know he was an Australian gentleman, and he had a beard. And he rode a mountain bike, and that was predated mountain bikes. It so was yeah. a mountain bike, probably 40 pounds. Easy. easy.
4: Yeah.
3: And he we met up in, uh, in Flagstaff. Uh-huh. And he almost, he basically... Came along with me toward the end and, and helped me get home
2: because he was
3: like encouragement for me.
2: Okay. And, and if, you, if you and he stayed in uh, contact all these years or not?
3: Well, no. Um, actually, he was going to get married. his sister was getting married or something like that, and we never did. And I wish to this day I wish I would kept in contact with him. I see. And With the internet, yeah, you never know. You know. Yeah. But, uh, yes. That that was that was a good thing. It's it good to have people that you need. And, and, yeah.
2: So, do you think you're ever going to do a long bike ride again, or are those days over? Yeah, for you?
3: I, I will. No, no, I will. I will. I will someday. Um, and where do you imagine it would be? Is it
2: going to be in the U.S. or is it going to be in in New Zealand well, or what? It
3: might be Europe. Europe. but I still like the U.S. I still want to do the U.S.
2: again. Yeah, um,
3: there's, there's an appeal to this country, like no place else, I believe.
2: Yeah, and, it's um, a wonderful way to see the country and get it. Yes, it is. A a freedom sense of the, the geography. Complete yeah. freedom. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been a great, uh, great pleasure for me to uh, have this story with you. It flew. It really flew fast. It's very interesting. And uh, there are a lot of bike riders out there. I'm sure some of them uh, might be inspired to try what you've done. And I'm glad you had a good time doing it. And Thank you. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in the near future. Absolutely. And we'll talk about... Um, going to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, among other things. So, so thank you so much for being my guest. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.
1: Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.
0: DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111.
5: Sportpsychologysociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111.